right, hello. It's so good to be with you tonight. Um, I am Laura, and the last name is Good Enough. Yes, it really, really, really is. Um, it's spelled exactly like it sounds. I mean, that's, it's a showstopper of a last name, I tell you. Every ticket agent, every clerk, every everybody has something to say. Um, Okay, so yes, Laura, good enough here. Um, I have been attending Salem Alliance for, I'd say like 20 plus years at this point. Um, I've participated in a variety of ways around here, marriage ministry, women's ministry over the years. Um, Most currently, you might see me in the Welcome Center on Sundays, or um, I do prayer team on Saturday nights with my husband. We'll pray for people up front. Um, If you ever attend live stream, sometimes I host the live stream. So um, that's where you might see me around here. I am married, like I said, to Mr. Good Enough. Um, (laughs) Yes, he is. That's always the question, is he good enough? Yes, he is. Um, And we've been married going on 18 years. We actually met, fun fact, in this here Cedar Hall. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. You can meet your husband at church. Um, I am a mom. I have a 10-year-old son. His name is Samson. And I am also a... I'm just giving you a little brief biographical sketch, hopefully to, like, build some credibility here. So you're like, who is this? Um, I am a former counselor, marriage and family therapist. I was in private practice here in Salem for 17 years. And um, now I just very naturally made the shift from private practice counselor to I own a New York City travel planning business. You see the connection there, right? Right. Oh, no, no, you don't. So (laughs) Um, I'll talk a little bit about that journey. Not too much. That's not going to be the emphasis tonight. But suffice it to say, I love what I do. Um, So here are a few things that are true about me. I am six foot one. You can probably tell, even sitting down, that I am tall. So I am six foot one. That is true about me. I also love to cook. I signed some of your bingo sheets saying that I love to cook or I love to bake. Both are true. Um, Baking, cooking, I'm currently like in the sourdough making uh, craze and phase. I've got my starter right now activating. So when I get home, I'm going to make a big double loaf, 80% hydration. Thumbs up. Thank you. Thank you. What? Okay. What's my starter's name? This is the truth. Someone asked me that this a couple months ago and I was like, it doesn't have a name. (laughs) I know. I know. They're like, she works for you. You sell her sometimes. She doesn't even have a name. She doesn't have a name. So that is a goal of mine for 2024, real low-level goal. I'm not here to make high goals, um, but that's a low-level goal of mine that I'm going to name my starter this year. So thank you. Hold me accountable. Okay. Um, Also, fun fact, I am very well-known in my community for my Rice Krispie treats, okay? Let me tell you about these Rice Krispie treats. They're not mine. You can have the recipe too. You've got a pen in front of you. If you wanna make the most life-changing Rice Krispie treats that people will ask you, can you make these? Can you bring me some? Can you bring these to the birthday party? Can you bring them to the young adults retreat for 200 people? Yes, I can. 
Um, they are the brown butter sea salt Rice Krispie treats on the Smitten Kitchen website. Okay? You can make them. Basically, let me break it down for you. It's double the butter. It's double the marshmallows. It's the same amount of Rice Krispies. So you see where we're going there. We've upped the ratio of the good stuff. Okay? So, and you brown that butter real deeply brown. Okay? You get to the point where you're panicking, you go a little bit further, and you're there. Okay, so here we go. Those are things that are true about me. The one last thing that's true about me that I'm going to share tonight is I don't like Christmas music. Okay, it feels especially, and this is bad because here I am in church, the ones we sing at church, I know they just feel so like, dun, 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 dun. You know, there's nothing that's like, you know, kind of jazzy and inspired. I just, I don't know. It feels very rote, uninspired. It feels like you're kind of just going through the motions. Um, So that's true. And if I'm honest, segue into Psalm 23. That's sort of how I feel about Psalm 23. I don't know what you guys have heard from other speakers prior to this, but sometimes you hear something so much or in such interesting context that you just associate it with that context. Like for me, the first time I ever remember hearing it was at my great grandma's funeral and she didn't even go to church. And I remember hearing it at her funeral and going, was great grandma a Christian? Like we're saying this verse at her, at her funeral. It's on sympathy cards. Um, I remember I'm an avid little house on the prairie watcher. Even to this day, I can hear Reverend Alden saying Psalm 23 at a funeral right now, you know? So there's just this context that I have had with Psalm 23 that feels very much like uninspired and kind of associated with a very kind of particular situation. So when I was asked... Would you like to speak at the gathering this year? And this is what we're talking about, Psalm 23. And then it was like, and then just take a verse. So I picked verse four, partly because it wasn't until February. I was like, yeah, February. I can do it in February. This was September. Um, But partly because something stuck out in the verse that I feel like I had never really seen before. And that natural curiosity that came up as a part of this verse took me in real deep to the whole passage and has given me and shed a whole new light on this passage. So I am so grateful. Something that, you know, God's word never returns void, right? And giving me that little inspiration and then helping me unpack this whole passage has been such a meaningful gift to me. And it's totally breathed um, new life into it. If you don't mind grabbing the sheets there um, that are on the table, that'll be what you'll kind of um, work off of for some personal reflection and some group sharing later. But I do have on here the passage. And if you don't mind, let's read it together out loud um, in this version, okay? So Psalm 23, verse 1. Let's go ahead and read it out loud. The Lord is my shepherd... I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. 
He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So the life of a sheep in a flock. I am sure you guys have had some really excellent teaching about all of this, but I just started going down the research rabbit hole. Like shepherds, sheep, what is this life of a shepherd look like? And so the life of a sheep in a flock being led out of the city by the shepherd into the pasture lands. At first in the spring, they can stay nearby the village probably because there's fields nearby that are, have been gleaned and there's opportunities for the sheep that are nearby. And they eat and they rest and they get full and then it's time to move on. The, the ground has been depleted, and it's time to move to the next place. And the shepherd is the one who's in charge of leading the way and finding the next place for them to eat, to graze, to be nourished, to find um, quiet waters. Um, and sometimes they're, they're further and further away from the village, and so they'll have to stay out there. And, and uh, the shepherd will build like a little sheepfold, um, a, a gated-in area, an enclosure to keep them safe from predators and something that can be easily disassembled when it's time to move on to the next green pasture land. Never do the sheep know how far the journey's going to be, even maybe that they're moving on at all, um, how long um, they're going to be traveling and traversing without food, without water, to when they get to the next place. It's an unknown path for them. The sheep, what I've just learned was that the sheep were like a very vital part of this shepherd's families, um, uh, econ the economy, the family, the sheep provided everything from, you know, their, their hides to meat to milk. They were sacrifices. Ram's horns could be used. So they were a really vital and important part of every family. And each and every sheep really mattered to the shepherd. The shepherd wanted to see the sheep all make it and make it together. They all had incredible value, not just to the family, but to the economy of that day. Those sheep, although the shepherd's role, we hear many times, was not a prestigious role, often given to the youngest um, son in a family, it was nonetheless a very, very important role. So these first, these, this six-verse passage that we just read is sort of about the journey and the life of sheep, you know, from pasture land to uh, trail and journey to next pasture land, and that sometimes that trail to the next pasture land leads into a valley, uh, a, dark, a dark valley. And then after that, it talks about, you know, that, uh, that he prepares a table 
before me in the presence of my enemies, and then all of this really good stuff that's coming up after my talk. Um, but really what I felt like this, these six verses were, were really also a metaphor or very illustrative of our own lives. We are, in our lives, constantly traversing between seasons. Seasons of hard and seasons of good, seasons of plenty and seasons of scarcity, seasons of rest and seasons of complete depletion, seasons of peace and seasons of turmoil, seasons of knowing and seasons of unknowing. Ah, and the path between those seasons, that path of righteousness or the right paths that he leads us on in the verse prior, it's not lost on me that it talks about the, the um, pastures and then he leads us on the path of righteousness and it really feels like we get delivered into the valley of the shadow of death. Like that is really disappointing. <laughs> um, but it's also really true and real about our lives, right? We can't escape that there's going to be dark valleys on our journey. So I'm going to tell you a little story. Buckle up. That's the one thing when I saw when I was like, oh, I chose this verse, and I'll tell you the things that stuck out to me that, um, that made me kind of dive into it and choose this one. But also coinciding with that is, oh, the dark valley. Like, And if I'm going to talk about something, I need to be share something that I've experienced and that it's very real for me and very true for me, it's also very vulnerable. So when I was like, oh, I got to talk about a dark season, that's going to be really fun. So here we are. Um, in 2017, um, my husband and I felt led to make some significant life changes. We had been listening to God and leaning into what he was saying about how he created us and feeling led to make changes um, specifically in our careers. So my husband had been working for 10 years at that time um, with the state. Um, I was going to set a timer, and I didn't. We're still at zeros. I haven't been up here at all for any amount of time. <laughs> it's amazing. Time has literally stood still. Um, okay, 7.30. I'm going to cook through this. Okay, um, so, so he had at that time been working for the state for 10 years, and he was in an analyst position, and he really wanted to be repositioned into a management position, and so that meant he was going to go back to school and get his master's degree. So he decided to um, stop his uh, job at the state, go back and get a one-year master's degree, and then when that was over, re get back into the state, but be able to come in at a management level. Also at that time, I decided that 15, 16 years into being a therapist, I was feeling ready for a new adventure myself. So what we were going to do is he was going to take a year off during my final year of work, and then he was going to um, graduate, get a job, and I was going to stop my practice, take a year off, figure out what I wanted to do with my life, and then start working again too. So you will hear me say right there, that was our plan. Sounds really good. The timing lined up so great. And at the time, we had a four-year-old, five-year-old. Samson was four or five. So our plan, I mean, we thought it sounded great. It was really affirmed, too, by the fact that my husband got, like, a full scholarship to graduate school. Like, it, you know, it was no money out of our pocket. 
So we had savings we could live off. I was still working, et cetera, et cetera. Great plan. So while Greg was finishing up school in like April, May, I broke the news to my clients and community that I was going to be closing my practice a few months later. And then um, Greg graduated. And then within a week, the state put on something they haven't done in a very long time, a hiring freeze. So they instituted like a two to three month hiring freeze. So he gets out, graduates, and they are not accepting applications for any new positions at that time. So, all right, we're going to have a summer off together. That's romantic. Um, so he, by the time the hiring freeze lifted, you know, I don't know if any of you are familiar with how the state works, but the process of applications and interviews takes forever. So he had applied for multiple positions, probably upwards of 20, and he made first round interviews for many, he made second round interviews for very few, and he made it to final rounds only once. And so he finally got a position eight months after um, he applied. He finally got a job uh, offered in March, um, started in April, a month shy of the year of him graduating. So that was an unexpected year off together. <laughs> we had the year off together. Um, not how I anticipated my year off after closing my practice going. So anyway, things were gonna get back on track from there, right? Like he got a job, now I was gonna have some months to figure out what I was gonna do. So things were gonna get back on track, right? No, they were not. So, since Craig got hired um, as a new manager in the state, he had to go to a bunch of new manager trainings, teach him how to be a manager. Um, he was um, working with HR, he's a quick learner, so they were training him how to do things as a manager, and so then he was taking those things he was learning in those trainings back to his new office, and asking the people there, like, oh, how are, how are we doing these things in our office? Like, I'm being trained. And he was met with incredible defensiveness and hostility and essentially was told, we don't have to do things like that in this office um, because we're part of a director's office. And so as Greg continued with the HR trainings, um, you know, HR's ears understandably perked up when he shared with them um, some of the things that were going on in his office, which then initiated a full-on HR investigation of the office he was just hired into, with HR asking him to basically be their informant, to be sending them documents, copies of emails, telling them everything that was going on in the office. They're interviewing people in the office who'd been there for a very long time. Anyway, so when you're hired as a new manager, you're hired under what's called trial service. You have six months of trial service where you're being given um, evaluations every single month. And at six months, they either say, hey, you're hired on permanently or this isn't a fit. We're going to part ways. So Greg at month five was given his papers, he was fired by the director who found out that this investigation was happening. And he was able to fire him without cause because he was in trial service. And even though Greg had never received his monthly evaluations, that was another problem that had gotten exposed in this investigation that people weren't getting their evaluations. He, um, he was fired, he was terminated 
by the director. And so I thought, surely, surely HR is going to be in touch with us. <laughs> they know what's going on. They've been doing this investigation. His, they've been asking him to funnel all this stuff like, surely. They know his track record. He has a stellar reputation in the state. Everyone likes him. Like, we're going to be getting a call any day that says, we were wrong. This is messed up. You've been done wrong. Come back. Here's your job. Thank you for helping us. This has been the most traumatic season of your life. We got nothing. Nothing. We never heard another word. So, that was a hard one. And so, for, he was let go in September. He, God did not show him a new career path. And boy, was it a different career path than we would have ever expected until May of the following year. And he got his first paycheck from that new career in September. Another year had gone by. So this was, um, this was a hard, hard season for us. It was unexpected. Um, it did not go the way that we had planned. I want to say right now that just because it's not going how we think, it doesn't mean we heard him wrong. So I don't know if anyone in here needs to hear that, that just because it's not going the way you think, it does not mean um, that you heard him wrong. We were consistently asking, did we hear you wrong? We are open to you saying you heard me. We're open to you saying you heard me wrong or you disobeyed. Like, take us back and show us. And every time he would show us how he affirmed, 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 affirmed to the point that we were at. It didn't make any sense. <laughs> this is not where we thought we were going to be after all of these um, decisions and where we were led. Um, but... It, is, it does not mean we did not hear him correctly. As we processed and looking back, we could see where he was with us every, at every point along the journey. Did we know the way forward? No, we did not. But we were right where he wanted us. Um, we were willing, like I said, to have been wrong. We were willing to do something different. But what we really needed to do and be was willing to stay in the valley. We needed to be willing to stay in the valley. Everything in me, you guys, creature of comfort right here. Creature of comfort. It's hard to be in these pants right now. I want to be in my sweats or my leggings. I want to be comfortable. And everything in me wants to fight to get out of this difficult situation. But he, what he was asking us to do was to stay in the valley. He led us to the valley. He led us there. He led us there. He was on the hook for leading us out. He didn't lead us in and say, now you guys creatively figure this out. He led us there and said, keep your eyes on me. Keep listening for my voice, and I will be the one to lead you out. 
So as I referenced at the beginning of this talk, there was something in the verse that jumped out to me that I was genuinely curious about that I feel like I'd never really paid attention to. Um, and that was the part that says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What in the world? How do a rod and a staff comfort? So as I did my research, I found, so the rod, the shepherd would carry a rod and a staff, and the rod was like a long, I mean, I'm picturing like a broomstick, a thick, long broomstick that would oftentimes have like a nail in the end, and that would be a protection device that the um, shepherd could use to, you know, use to ward off any predators. There was lions. We know there was bears that David interacted with the wildlife and, and killed them. Um, and so they would oftentimes use a, a rod um, as, as protection. So that rod is synonymous with protection. And as I look back in our story, I can see very much the rod of protection that, that God used as our shepherd in that situation. He protected us physically during those multiple years of unemployment. Our health, let me remind you, we had no health insurance at that point in time. Anything could have been sort of a catastrophic financial blow to us um, if something would have happened physically. So physically, our health, our safety, our family, he protected us. Also financially, this could have been ruinous for us. I mean, multiple years of unemployment. And yet, at the end of the journey, we were not in debt. He provided for us and he protected for us in ways that we absolutely could never have asked for or imagined that he just did. So he protected us financially. We lived off of gifts and our savings for nearly three years and ended up with no debt after all of that. Most significantly, you guys, he protected our relationship. I mean, talk about stress on a marriage. Financial um, situations being fired, us handling that differently. He was relieved when he got fired. It was such a toxic environment that he came home the day he was fired with his box in hand. Oh my gosh, you guys. Um, and he was relieved. He felt like he heard God say to him, well done. And I love that for him. I want God's best for him, and I want that relief for him. He was in a toxic situation. I, as a wife, I was mad. Um, but, so he was relieved. I was panicked and ticked. <laughs> Uh, so I was angry, and, and I wouldn't say panicked isn't totally fair, but I was angry, he was relieved, and then I was, you know, what are we going to do mentality. Um, so, but he preserved our relationship, and praise God for that. Um, you know, there's multiple layers to that, um, and mostly it was just God's intervention with fantastic friends and people and therapists, to be honest with you. Okay, I numbered my pages so I wouldn't be doing this. Okay. 
Um, we did not turn on each other, and 100% we are stronger today than we ever have, having gone through that together and weathered that storm together. And also, he protected us emotionally, and I can just really speak for myself on that. Like, it was low, low, low for me. And there were months where it was hard for me to get off the couch, um, to be inspired, to be have energy. And um, he provided me with incredible community support and therapists during that time. And so also we have the staff. Um, the staff, so they carry, the shepherd would carry the rod and the staff. The staff really symbolizes care and comfort. So we think of like the shepherd's hook staff, right? And so that actually had a function. It's not just a walking stick. That hook on the end is used as an extended arm so that the um, shepherd can reach into the flock and be able to grab and attend to an injured sheep. Also, if it's kind of falling off a cliff, he can reach for it and grab it. So this staff is really synonymous with comfort and care. And um, so looking back and seeing how God, the good shepherd, used his staff um, of comfort and care with us, really during that time, um, a, a scripture, a passage was... It was um, Coming, is popping out to us and, and over and over and over, and that was the life of Joshua, um, that we were really unified around um, the life of Joshua and that Joshua was a wanderer in the desert, and he also was ushered into the promised land and was a warrior in the battles in the promised land. And so God really used um, this, the life of Joshua um, as a way to comfort and care for us by using his word. Also, my husband was invited to serve in many ways during that season that was really tough. He was asked to come on as an elder on the elder council here at church. He's a gifted mediator. He was invited into some places to do some mediation and serve as a mediator and a peacemaker um, here at the church and in the community organization. And then also God just used, like I said, our faithful, faithful friends who walked with us and consistently encouraged us and provided comfort and care to us during that season. So if you're going through a season like that now, a situation or a circumstance that's dark, I would encourage you to look into and ask God, where are you protecting me? Help me to see your rod of protection Help me to see how you are comforting me and caring for me with your, with your hook, with your staff. Um, or looking back on a season and seeing where did he comfort, where did he protect um, me. It's such a faith-building experience because as much as I don't want to say like, hey, once you're out, you're out. No, we go back in <laughs> because that's life, right? There's going to be another season. There's going to be another stretch. There's going to be another circumstance that's dark. And you will remember how he, how he protected and how he comforted. And that will help you to see it again and to be equipped as you move forward into the next dark season. I am so aware of how we are running out of time here. Um, so I am going to just call it with that. Um, I think, um, yeah, I'm just going to leave it there. I had some other things to say, but 
um, I want you guys to have at least a little bit of time. Just Let's just go straight into like processing as a group. Um, I was going to have you do some reflection quietly, and I would encourage you to take the sheet of paper with the questions home and use it as a way to process. Um, but I'm just going to say right now, just go through the questions. You can start at the beginning or you can start at the end, just whatever kind of pops off the page to you and talk a little bit about um, maybe a circumstance or a season and where you've seen God. And I didn't really get into um, the part about us taking on his role as shepherd, but I think you'll see where I was going with the line of questioning. So anyway, thanks for um, just your attentiveness and and your um, compassion. And um, I'm just going to pray for you as you move into this time of discussion together. God, I just want to say thank you um, for your word. Thank you for making old things new, for making things that feel um, a little dead come right back to life, Lord God. Thank you that your word doesn't return void. We thank you that it applies to us today, right now, in the here and now. God, we are so grateful. We are so grateful that you stand as our good, good shepherd, even when you lead us to places that feel hard and dark, Lord God. I ask you to show us where you stand and where you stand with your rod of protection and where you stand with your staff of comfort and care, Lord God. Would you help us to see you clearly and build our faith and our trust and tune our ears and our eyes to you as we follow you wherever you lead. In Jesus' name, amen.